Hey, welcome to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martin. Got a great guest with me today, my friend Donovan Manley, and he is very manly. We'll get into that later, but uh, he's a retired infantry officer. He's he served in Liberia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Iraq, Af- Afghanistan. Now he's an executive fitness and lifestyle coach. So Donovan, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, good to be here, Joe. Hey, you, you've seen some beautiful parts of the world, huh? I have. You know, it's a it's a crazy experience. It's a, you know, funny, I'm, I'm from Huntsville. Huntsville's my hometown. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, poor kid from Huntsville. I've been to 30 different countries all over the world. And so, you know, sometimes in, in uh, good circumstances, sometimes less so, but the people are, are great wherever you go, whatever the circumstance. So it's, it's been an adventure for sure. That's awesome. So what kind of gets that? So you, you're, you come from Huntsville and then how do you, how do you get into the military from Huntsville? What was your childhood like? <laughs> so it's a, it's funny. I used to tell people this all the time. I joined the army for college money. Right. Okay. So back in the day, it was be all you could be, you know, they had the army college fund and uh, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't come from a great, uh, a great upbringing. You know, I was, uh, I was a high school dropout and um, you know, I can't, my dad was the drug dealer in the city, you know I mean? There was, there was all kinds of negativity going on there, but for some reason I just knew I was going to make it. And um, I just had a love of learning and I couldn't do that. So I managed to get a job and I, you know, I was assistant manager of a bookstore and I was doing pretty well. And I wanted to go to college and the recruiters, man, they saw me coming, you know, (laughs) I went up to, they sent me to Nashville where I am now to do MEPS and they showed me uh, these videos and they said, you know, it was actually on a laser disc and they showed me this video of this guy blowing stuff up and building bridges. And I'm like, that's me. I can do that, but, but I'll come back. And they said, well, what about jumping out of airplanes? You got any trouble jumping out of airplanes? I'm like, that sounds fun. Let's do that. And so they sent me downstairs. The doctor shook my knee and checked my ears and said, you can jump out of airplanes. That's cool. So I went back up and I said, that sounds fun, but I'll come back. And they said, what if you graduate basic training, you graduate airborne school, we'll send you to the 82nd Airborne Division, guaranteed. You know, a kid from Alabama, I'm like, dude, that's it. You got yeah. me. I signed the papers right then and it was locked in from there. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty prestigious. If you've heard of them and you're from Alabama, you're like, all right, I'm in. That's it. I'm, I'm going. And, uh, you know, and I had, I had a great adventure there. And then I went to Italy and I was in, you know, there's an airborne unit over there. And, um, and that just kind of took off. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, I did get the college degree and the MBA and, and all of that to go along with it. But lots of adventures on the way. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, thank you for your service, by the way, before we move on. So I appreciate that. And uh, so you give me kind of a brief overview of your career in the military, and we'll kind of get into why we're, we're doing that later. So kind of what, what was the kind of a brief overview of what you did in the military? Uh, yeah, so that, that laser disc was a combat engineer. And so the job of a combat engineer is explosives and landmines and, and bridges, but there's a different sector that does bridges. We just did it once a year to make sure we could but I went to an airborne unit. And so the airborne engineer's job really is to jump out of airplanes and blow stuff up. So I, you know, it was made for me. I'm like, I'm in, let's do that. Uh, and so I did that for, for 12 years and I managed to make Sergeant first class, which is an E7, you know, if you're familiar with the military. Uh, and along the way, I managed to pick up some, some college credits. And, and I wanna emphasize that not everybody gets to do that. And I was very fortunate because when I, when I got to Italy, the education center over there worked with us so well. You know, we, we were not staying at base. Like I, I don't think I stayed in Vicenza, Italy for more than half a year, any of the five years I was there. We stayed on the road. 
but the education center worked with us and it was just tremendous. And then when I became a drill sergeant at Fort Benning, they came out with the eArmyU, which is a whole program that gave us a laptop. Uh, and I managed to get three years of college. And then they said, hey, do you want to be an officer? So I, I went to OCS and, and did that. And, you know, and I, I think it was a good thing. I didn't realize how much I was going to miss being a non-commissioned officer, you know, and I, I got promoted pretty early. I was the non-commissioned officer of the year for all of Europe. I was the drill sergeant of the year for the infantry center. And, wow. you know, I, I had a lot going for me. I'd been deployed a whole bunch of times. This was before the war on terror. And, you know, so I, I had a lot going for me, but I decided to become an officer anyway. And, uh, and it was a good decision for many reasons, but I did miss the, the relationship with the soldiers, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't trade anything that I did. So I, I became an infantry officer and I did 10 years, had a couple of commands and, and really uh, enjoyed that. And I retired out of the 101st uh, Airborne Division out of Fort Campbell and just came back home to Nashville and um, with a brief detour managing a a furniture factory down in Georgia, but, <laughs> uh, but I came back home to Nashville and, and, you know, this is, this is home and this is where we're at. And that's, uh, that's about the shortest overview I can give of 22 yeah. years. <laughs> that's really, that's really cool, man. That's good. That's a good wrap up for 22 years. So you went from uh, blowing stuff up yourself to telling other people to blow stuff up. Is that how that works? Well, yeah. So the, the, you know, infantry is just a rifleman. I mean, we're, we're all riflemen, but you know, as an infantryman, you've got to know how to do everything. And, and I, I don't think that gets appreciated enough when, especially when, when our non-commissioned officers and our enlisted folks get out of the military and they go to look for a job, those skills that translate, it's hard for us to translate them. So I, I just can't, um, I can't see how difficult it must be for civilians to translate those skills because you just, whatever the situation throws at you, you've got to solve it. There's nobody, nobody going to do it for you, you know? Uh, and so as an infantry officer, you know, I was just leading riflemen and that's, um, that's what we did. And then I was, I was fortunate to get a couple of unique commands I, where I had headquarters companies. So I had MPs, I had scouts, I had um, the, uh, you know, one of the commands I had scouts, another one I had military police and chemical folks and mechanics and uh, medics. So it was just a, a wealth of, of experiences that I could draw from in my leadership uh, in leading those folks. So that's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to describe what an infantryman does, but um, it sounds simple, but it's so complex and leading those, those fantastic folks was, uh, was an honor. Well, that's really cool, man. Yeah. It just, it's problem solving, right? Like high level problem solving. <laughs> that's it. So uh, the main reason I wanted to have you on is you learned a lot of things about how to be resilient while you're in the military and you share those with your current clients and in your business as well. So kind of what are some tips you picked up on becoming more resilient? Because let's face it, over the past year, uh, you, we've all had to do some of that. So let's give us some tips on that. Yeah, so re resiliency really is just, you know, bend, don't break. Uh, and it's so it's not that that things don't get you down. It's not that um, that things don't get tough. It's just, you know, how can you bounce back from it? How can you absorb it and, and come back? And, you know, in the early days, so the, the Army's master resiliency training didn't come out till I think 2009, 2010. And so that's pretty late in the game for me. But we had already learned a bunch of stuff. And, you know, frankly, I'd learned a lot in, in my life. And so I kind of distill it down to four things. Uh, and so we'll just kind of walk through those if we've, if we've got a little bit of time. And, oh, plenty uh, of time. So, so the first thing, that I think is critical to resiliency is to have a purpose and know what that purpose is, right? So, you know, Viktor Frankl quotes Nietzsche and I'm, I'll mess up this quote here, but it's something, you know, a man, a man with a why can withstand any what. And, 
and that's really it. If you know what your purpose, your overarching purpose is, it, it gives you just this feeling of perseverance where you can just kind of absorb it, not like it, but bounce back and, and know that there is a better purpose there. And, and many of us just drive, you know, we, we drive through life and we set goals every year, you know, and uh, we set quarterly goals for our business, but there's no big purpose to that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's, that's very important. And one thing that we use in, not in the resiliency program, but in military planning is uh, the commander's intent. So we have a mission statement and that tells us what needs to happen on this mission. That's kind of our goal. But we have the commander's intent, which includes three parts. There's the purpose. So that's kind of the bigger purpose of the mission. How are we helping the big fight by accomplishing this mission? And then there's the key tasks for success. And I think we don't identify those often enough. Right, what does success look like? Success doesn't look like necessarily achieving the goal. It looks like these particular tasks have to happen. And then there's the desired end state. And that's kind of your vision, right? So if I achieve this goal, what does it let me do? What does it let me, how does it let me live? How does it let me interact with the world and live out my values more fully? And that's for me kind of the desired end state part of that. Uh, and, and I really think that's, that, that's kind of critical to any endeavor, especially fitness and health and, and what we do, Joe. Sure. Yeah. It's hard to get where you're going if you don't know how you're getting there, right? Yeah. And, and why you're getting there, right? So, if why you doing? Sure. so you know, this, uh, I was in this school, which was a miserable school. I had to live in a snow cave and it was just really bad. It was how to do long range reconnaissance in, in an alpine environment. And the helicopter, we were supposed to get dropped on this mountain, ski down the mountain, ski up another mountain and sit in overwatch on a German ammo depot for three days, right? So we're just supposed to watch what's coming in and out. And so the, the mission went fine. We got dropped on the, on the mountain. Everything was on time. We skied down the mountain. We felt pretty good about it. We were about halfway up the next mountain when we hit a ravine that wasn't supposed to be there. And so we stopped and we assessed and we realized, man, they put us on the wrong mountain. <laughs> we, we got dropped on the completely wrong mountain. And so our goal was, you know, our mission was to sit on this other mountaintop and watch the German, um, the German ammo depot and report we saw. But really the purpose of it was we needed to know what reinforcements were being brought in and what supplies were coming. And so we were able to adjust our goal and our mission to still be able to accomplish that purpose. Cause there was no way we could ski from where we were to the mountain we were supposed to be on top of. And so that's kind of how I, I, I describe it, right? So if you, if you have your goal and something gets in the way of the goal, if you know what the purpose of that goal was, you can adjust much more easily than just stubbornly trying to go around this obstacle and around this obstacle and around this obstacle and you get to the goal, it's too late. The purpose is gone and you've, you've put yourself needlessly through a bunch of, uh, of uh, difficulty. So if you define that purpose, what do I want to do when I get there? Then yeah, that's when you, you can get there or get someplace where you can achieve the same purpose. I know that's a, that's a weird divergence, but uh, it, it's, it's a discussion that I have when we talk about goals and vision all the time. Well, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great illustration too with the mountain that, Hey, it's not just to be there. It's to do this, right? Yeah. It's to do the thing. Right. And so that's, our, that was the desired end state. The desired end state was that we knew what was coming in and out of that thing. We found a new place. Um, but, but we wouldn't have been able to do that if we hadn't done all the preparation for the mission. Right. So, so that was, that was really important. Um, I, I think a second step is you got to stick to reality. You got to know what reality is. Right. And so this is, um, this is kind of drawing from cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance, commitment therapy. You know, we, we make a lot of assumptions about what reality is. And I heard you talk about it on one of your podcasts where your thoughts are not reality. 
your emotions that are driven by those thoughts are also not reality. They are your thoughts and your emotions in reaction to what really is. And so when you, you're facing tough times, it's easy for us to, you know, in, in the resiliency training in the army, they, they call it uh, thinking traps. It's easy to fall into these thinking traps over uh, catastrophizing and um, it's all my fault or it's all their fault or it's all whatever and whatever. And that doesn't help you solve any problem at all. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we kind of talk about determine what your assumptions are, right? What are your thoughts and what are your emotions and what are your assumptions? Because uh, once again, going back to military planning, we use assumptions. You have to make some assumptions because you don't have perfect information. You never will. But what we do a lot of times is we inject those assumptions without ever analyzing them. Right. So in planning, we, we say that they have to be valid and um, they have to be necessary. Right. So if you think about if you can identify the assumptions you're making. So if you say something to me and I take it a certain way and it starts me down this emotional spiral of, you know, Joe just doesn't get me and he's making fun of me and all this other stuff. If I stop and think, what are the what are the assumptions I'm making here? The fact is, Joe said something. That's the only fact there. That's Joe fact. said yeah. this. So what assumptions am I making? I am making the assumption that Joe's making fun of me, that his intent is to make fun of me. Is that valid? Well, in this particular case, probably not, because I know Joe and I know that that's not, not his way. So already it fails the test. But say he's somebody who's kind of sarcastic and kind of makes that, that, sort of, uh, that sort of comment a lot, but not in a bad way. Then I have to say, is it necessary? Do I need that assumption to make a decision? And in most cases, the answer to that is no. When we assume somebody's intent, we don't really need that assumption to make a decision. It doesn't help us solve a problem. So you can just discard that assumption altogether and just go back to the fact, Joe said this thing. Was it funny? Maybe, <laughs> but, but it's, it's really irrelevant, right? So, so, so that's where the, the stick to reality piece comes. If you can identify what's real versus what your reaction to reality is, it removes a lot of the stress that we put on ourselves about the situation that we're in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Facts over emotions always. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then kind of related to that is you got to know the real problem, right? So I, I, again, I'm, I'm really good at throwing out quotes and really bad at getting them right. But, <laughs> but Einstein said something like, if I had an hour to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes figuring out the problem, right? And then five minutes uh, solving it. And that's kind of the, the real you know, you see that a lot today. We all just, it, part of, we make assumptions about what people's intentions are. We make assumptions about what um, is going to happen because of X, Y, and Z, but we don't stop and take the time to really sit with the problem and figure out what's the root cause. Like what's the one string that we can start pulling on that's going to unravel this whole problem and make things better. We just want to start clipping, you know, yeah. <laughs> we break out the scissors and start clipping. And now we've just got a mess. We haven't, we haven't unraveled anything. And and so if you can identify what the real problem is, then you're much more likely to find a solution. And you can also come up with multiple, um, you know, m multiple avenues to, to reach that solution. So the worst thing you can do is have only two choices, right? I, I must do either this or that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can always add a third. There's always at least one more option there. And that relieves a lot of the catastrophizing, a lot of the stress on you. Um, you just have to be creative and find it. And you can't do that if you haven't truly identified what the problem is, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's so many situations where the answer usually is, it depends. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. It's not usually like uh, black and white for most people. It's, you know, especially with individuals, it's, hey, it, it depends, especially with what you do with your fitness and health coaching. Hey, it depends. Totally I mean, depends. For, for this exercise, this, it, it depends. So I, that's what I try to get back. Like, let's not think in black and white. Let's get a little gray area here and let's work with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, real, the, the realization that there's, there are rarely solutions. There's usually just trade-offs. Right. And it, you just have to find that trade-off that you're willing to accept and that is more likely than not to move you closer to your vision. And, you know, that takes a lot of pressure off if you think about it. If you don't have to find the perfect solution, you just need to find the one that gets you a little closer without making a whole bunch of other things worse, right? Yeah. That's, you know, that that's much simpler than finding the perfect solution, which we put ourselves in that category all the time. Like, you know, kind of paralysis by analysis, trying to figure right. out what the perfect solution is. Whereas usually if we spend that time trying to, where we're trying to find a solution, trying to identify the real problem, the root cause of the problem, the solutions just kind of the, the avenues that you can take to solve it just kind of pop up all by themselves. Is that, have you found that to be true? Oh, absolutely. Like you said, it takes the pressure off too. Cause you're not saying, well, if this doesn't work, then I'm in trouble. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I see that as well. <laughs> you get one shot. Uh, but, yeah. you, but you don't. So you have to take action, right? There's, there's no saying you can't steer a ship at rest, right? So you, you got to start moving the ship before you can start steering it. So if you come up with a solution and, and, you know, I use, I use that analogy a lot where life is an experiment, but so are our health and our fitness journeys. Uh, so is your, your lifestyle journey, right? So just like you with your, with your clients, a lot of times what you'll find when they come to us is that, well, I've tried this and it didn't work. Well, I tried this and it didn't work. I tried this and it didn't work which is all true, but what, what we don't do often is sit and analyze what was, what was the good part about it and what didn't work and why didn't it work. That's just knowledge. That's just information that we can apply moving forward, right? Exactly. Oh, it worked for a while and then it stopped working. Well, let's dive into that. What was working when it was working? Awesome. At what point did it stop working? What was going on then? And it's just an analysis of the problem but we don't stop and analyze backwards. We're like, ah, that didn't work. Try something else. Yeah. So that's it. You know, you look at, and I, I try to tell my clients, you know, this is, this is just data points, not judgment. You know, we're just going to look at this. And uh, like you said, we'll, we'll, we'll plug and play this word, this didn't, what we need to change. And, and we can get you going. It, you know, we don't have to think that just because it failed in the past, that it's always going to be a failure. Yeah, absolutely. Cause uh, you know, you've, if you failed a bunch of times in the past at that, then you have an awful lot of data to go on to design something moving forward. I mean, that's just really a good thing. It didn't feel good at the time, I'm sure. Um, you know, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of platitudes, right? So, you know, uh, failure is never final. Well, that's not true. You know, in the business I spent 22 years in, failure can be really final. I mean, yeah. you, have to, you, you have to be a little more cognizant of what you're, the decisions you're making than that. Uh, but the, you know, the sentiment behind that is just, Hey, let's try it in a controlled environment and learn from it and be willing to make a decision. And so, you know, as you set up that experiment, you know, we call them decision points in the military. So you, you know that there are certain phases in the mission where you're going to stop and make a decision. Am I going to take this branch or this branch? Am I going to do this or that? And so you set those up in the beginning, right? So I'm going to try, you know, whatever the diet of the day is, right? I'm going to try this new, new thing that all my friends are trying. I'm going to try it for two weeks. I'm going to see how I feel. And at that point, I'll make a decision to go forward. Putting it in that experimental, and I know you did precision nutrition as well. And so uh, right. I've been, I've been a PN um, certified coach for like 10, 10 years. And 
that's one of the things I like about them. Everything is an experiment. Let's mm -hmm. set up an experiment, know when we're going to check in, know what success looks like, and, and then we can adjust. And you don't just go until it doesn't work anymore and then go, well, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, and, and so the last thing I wanted to, to mention about that, and, and I think this one is really important, is you have to maintain a strategic reserve. Right. So, uh, you know, our friend Bill, uh, Billy Hofker has his um, his financial uh, podcast. Right. And so that's one of the things they talk about finances a lot. You have to build up your reserve. We don't think very often about having a physical or a mental or an emotional reserve. Right. So if you are driven, you know, so my clients are, are, are typically executives or, or successful business people or they're just really focused on their job. And so they think that that's what they need to do. They just need to drive, 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 drive. But they don't have the energy left over, emotional or physical or anything else, in case one, an opportunity presents itself where they got to put a little more in, or two, a crisis occurs and they have to shift to that. They've already used it all up, right? So you have to build up that reserve. And that's something that I find, I find very important because you know the Army's definition of physical fitness is that you're strong enough to get where you're going and still have and accomplish the mission and still have some left over for an emergency because you know those happen uh, in real life they happen in the military and everywhere else so it it's not enough to be physically fit enough to do the mission you got to have a reserve you got to have something left over and i don't think we focus enough on that emotional reserve and over the past year if you didn't have an emotional reserve you spilled over immediately absolutely and most of us who had an emotional reserve, you know, we hit the top, <laughs> you know, we taxed it heavily uh, over the past year. Uh, and then hopefully they, you start making some deposits back into that, that, that reserve. So that's where that bend don't break comes from. You can just tap into those reserves a little bit. And just like any other muscle resiliency, something that as you start, um, as you start to get into it uh, and use it and that mindset and that, those, those skills, you know, it gets stronger. Um, you know, it's like it's a, the Relentless Positivity podcast, right? Uh, the reason you contact me is something I posted about hunt the good stuff. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's one of the, one of the, um, the skills that you learn in resilience training. And it's not the silver lining, right? People misapply it sometimes where it's, oh, look for the silver lining in every situation. Well, you know, sometimes the situation is just bad. Yeah. And it's just fake to look for a silver lining. But what it's talking about is the negativity bias, you know, so evolutionary um, necessity said that we were going to focus on the negative to preserve our life. We needed to know the emergency or what's not going right so we can correct it. That's just natural. But that causes us to miss out on all the positive things that are going on around us. And so the hunt for the good stuff isn't find the silver lining in this awful situation you found yourself in. It's look for all the positives and start cataloging those positives in your life just to shift your mindset a little bit and give yourself a little relief from the need to to correct all those negatives you know throughout every day across the week and uh, and all that stuff and it's not downplaying the importance of those corrections it's saying for your own mental health be aware of all the positive things that you have even if positive is just you woke up I mean, yeah. that's pretty darn positive, to be honest. And hey, so you woke up, you got a shot, right? You got a shot, man. It's a new day yeah. and, and you, you can solve that problem. Uh, and so that's, 
you know, that's what they mean by hunt for the good stuff. And, and that's why I kind of, I love the relentless positivity. I'm not always a positive person. I just am not um, just analyzing problems. You know, one of, I, I did the strengths finder thing and it, it, it was love of learning. So I'm a philomath and I'm a brainstormer, right? So I love to learn things. I like to put concepts together in unique ways. And that's kind of uh, my strengths. And then I like to develop people. Coach is the, is the third one. Uh, and so in, in analyzing all those things and taking all this information, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the problem or by the situation. Sometimes I'm just not positive. People wouldn't know that to follow my Facebook <laughs> feed. But, yeah. uh, but that is me trying to find the positive in life, trying to hunt the good stuff and keep some positivity in my, in my realm, in my mental diet, if, it, uh, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I just think that's important. I don't think folks do that. Uh, a lot of folks don't do that enough. Yeah, well, I liked how you talk about that. You're not trying to fake positivity. You're not saying like, hey, uh, awesome, the house is on fire. Kids, go get the marshmallows. You know, it's not yeah. like where you're trying to do something like that. But you're like you said, that's why I love that phrase, hunt for the good. Because in most situations, if you look hard enough, it's there. You don't have to make it up. It's yeah. in there. And you also don't have to put negativity where it's not there. Just like you talked about earlier, kind of talking about people's intent and stuff like that, where especially you'll see this with text messages. Um, yeah. You'll see like, wait, are they mad at me? Yeah. I can't tell yeah. like you can't tell because yeah. there's no context there so and you automatically go there the negative there so I'm just right. trying to flip that around so I appreciate that out of you yeah yeah your expectations are that you're going to receive this kind of a response and it's shorter than you expected it to be uh, and so you know we inject our own uh, our own expectations or our own values or our own assumptions in there it's like well I assume that they're mad at me yeah right? or, what does that K mean anyway? What does that K mean in yeah, text? K. K. Wait, are they mad? Uh, uh, you know, that's just uh, that's somebody else's way of of um, describing the world, right? Just those short short little messages. Yeah. And and that's fine for them. You know, and 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 I think that's important. We just have to understand. It is an important thing, especially if even if you need that assumption, you need to make that assumption to to make a decision. I don't think there's anything wrong with assuming that that person's doing the best that they can with what they have, right? So sure. that's one of the one of the NLP assumptions. Everybody's gonna do the best they can with what they have. If you try to understand that person, you have to understand why that was the best that they had. You don't yeah. have to like what they did. You don't have to like the reaction that it caused from you or even if your assumption of their intentions was correct, you don't have to like it. But if you try to spend some time to understand why was that the best that they had just now? Nobody makes bad decisions on purpose, right? right? Even if they make an intentionally wrong decision to tank the company, that they think that's best for them or best for somebody, right? Whatever the case may be, they didn't make a bad decision on purpose. They made the decision they thought was right. And the yeah. results come where, where it is. And so if you make that assumption, I mean, it doesn't hurt you. There, I can't think of any situation where just assuming the, that people are doing the best they can is going to negatively affect your life. Yeah. So that, that is one of my good traits that I, I just assume everyone's doing what they're trying to do. Right. They're not out. They don't have it in for me. I, I, occasionally people do. Right. It, it happens. But if you, it happens, but you don't have to put it there when it's not there. So, um, so let me compare this. So you had all this resiliency training in the military. How does that compare to being an Auburn football fan? Man, it is necessary. It's the it same, right? Absolutely necessary. Right. So you, you got to hunt for the good all the time you got to find that one good play that happened or the 
the player on the sideline with a smile and go, see, he's enjoying himself. Yeah, <laughs> it's in there, right? It's not as many I, as, as hey I man, I just had my, I, I'm 48. I just had my physical, my annual physical a few weeks ago and I'm healthy as a horse other than, than orthopedically, like I'm falling apart orthopedically. I've had a couple of spinal surgeries and knee surgeries and my hands are all broken up, but uh, my heart is healthy as can be and I need it. Yeah, you need an Auburn sure. fan, right? I love my <laughs> Auburn family. I'm a proud alum, but man, they're killing me. I hear you. I'm with you, man. I need to get my heart checked out. So uh, you kind of mentioned that you got all these injuries kind of from the military, and that has affected how you train people now. So kind of get into that a little bit, how that kind of shaped your business that you're doing now. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of how I got into it. So I went to master fitness trainer school back in 1997 in, in Vilsack, Germany. It was a um, and it was interesting when I went there because, you know, so in the 82nd Airborne back in the 90s, physical training involved running a lot. And so we would go out there in the morning, we'd do the, the daily dozen, and then we would run for five miles. And we'd come back and we'd do 204 count flutter kicks and 204 count uh, push ups. Very few people actually did 200. They just suffered through it as much as they could. And, and that was PT four days out of the week. And the fifth day, you did a ruck march. And that was just it. That's just what, kind of what we did. When I went to master uh, fitness trainer, you know, I learned it was really based on strength and conditioning principles. And I learned, man, there's, there's a better way to do this because it was just really a meat grinder. You hung on as long as you could. Then when you couldn't hang on anymore, they sent you to a non-airborne unit. And, uh, and then eventually you would, uh, you would retire or you would rank up to a, a point where you could get away with not doing PT all the time. Right. And so, uh, I learned there was a new way. And so I went back to my unit and they just told me to shut up and row. And so we, we, we you know, shut up and run. Uh, but eventually I got to a position where I had some say on our, our physical training program. And, um, and I was able to implement that and then implement um, a program for our injured soldiers. Cause after the war started, you know, we, we got injured. My first command, I think I had 30% of my soldiers were non-mission ready uh, wow. due to injuries and other, other issues. And so, you know, what we would do is if somebody got injured, you set them to the side, they go over here. You don't do PT with the rest of us. But the minute that the doctor cleared them, we threw them back in, you know, it's like trying to merge onto the freeway doing five miles an hour. It's a, yeah. it's a train, it's a wreck waiting to happen. And it did. And so the recurrence was, was really bad. Uh, and so I just started studying and I started doing, um, getting all these certifications, you know, I've got a, an exercise therapy certification and uh, and then I got into, uh, honestly, I got into to Pat Rigsby and, and that crowd and our friend Pat. Uh, and they were all very nice to me because I was still in the military. I wasn't making any money at personal training. I was doing it for my soldiers. And so they were all just very gracious to me. And I learned a, a ton. Uh, and then I started working with some, some firefighters and some, uh, an ambulance company. And I thought, when I retire, I'm going to do that. Uh, and then I found out what a city's budget cycle looks like. And <laughs> I realized when I retired, I didn't have three years to wait on the first, uh, the first thing to get funded. So I went and managed a furniture factory, but, but yeah, that's, you know, we're all, if you're our age, you're all, you're post rehab. We're all post rehab. We're all post injury. And so it really does affect my method of training. Um, and, and what I think is necessary. Uh, and like you said, it depends. What is your goal? If you want to be a bodybuilder, I know people that can help you. I'm probably not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to be better at life and, you know, weekend hockey and, uh, or soccer or whatever, and, and, um, you're willing to put in the effort, then I can help. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to get people better at the sport of life. That's kind of what we're looking yeah. for here. Yeah, that's it. And, and most of us don't need, don't need what we see in the magazines. Um, if you can do it great, 
but um, you probably don't need that. That's not, you know, I, I'm a big believer in the minimum viable dose. <laughs> like for, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not a gym rat. I love lifting once I get in the gym, but my gym is 10 feet from here. And it is so easy for me to talk myself out of going out the back door and walking into the, <laughs> into the, the gym. Uh, but I know once I get in, there, I'm going to like it, but I'm not a gym rat. You know, I don't, I didn't grow up that way. It's not my, my thing. I do it because of the purpose that I have, what it lets me do. If I didn't, I'd be immobile with all the injuries I've had. If I didn't stay strong and stay um, on top of my movement capabilities, uh, it, it would, I'd be immobile. I'd be in pain all the time. And, and it's just not, it's not a way I want to live my life. I got grandchildren. I like to play with. I like to go out and hike and be active and, uh, I just don't want to live my life that way. And I'm fortunate enough to have the knowledge and the skill set to, to be able to attack that. Yeah, that's it, man. That's a big motivator right there. So we're going to get into some yeah. uh, kind of some more personal questions right here. So what's been your biggest failure? And this could be your personal or your professional life. What's kind of been your biggest failure? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I never have a satisfactory answer to this question. Uh, and this could definitely turn into the Joe Martin experience. You know, we could get into a three hour discussion here. Joe Martin experience is a registered trademark of Joe Martin fitness, uh, but we, um, I, I, so I think there's two that are relevant to the audience, right? So one of them is my, my ever expanding list of things I should do that I don't actually go out and execute, you know, and I, I heard your, your podcast about imposter syndrome. I've got a friend in Chris Kelso who wrote overcoming the imposter recently. And, uh, it's a great Check book, uh, if you want to look it up, but um, I, it's just been a thing, you know, growing up where, where I grew up. And, and so I have this long list of things that I should do. And I always have, and taking the time, you know, just picking one and executing and then sticking with it until I get somewhere with it is just a, you know, it's, it's a constant struggle for me. And it's kind of the good idea fairy. I get started on one thing and then, yeah. uh, you know, the good idea fairy floats down and just tosses this other good idea. And it's like, squirrel, I'm off on this, this thing. And, and in some ways it's, it's self-sabotage, right? Because I just don't think I'm, I'm worthy of, of taking this idea to, to completion or something like that. Um, but it's also just, I love to learn and I'm very curious. And, and so I just kind of squirrel. And I, I think that's true in your fitness endeavors as well. Pick a thing and do it. If it's walking, walk it. Just right. go walk. Just pick a thing. Uh, and you don't need perfect keto compliance to, to get healthier you just need to do one thing better than you did yesterday. And I, I think that's something that I have to learn over and over and over again. I'm better at it now, but you know, it's pretty late in coming. Uh, and the other one is, is just, this is just kind of a, a personal thing. I don't, I don't know how it applies, but I just didn't maintain relationships, man. I, I met so many great, great people. And when I was there and I was with them and, and we were stationed together, we really cared about each other. And we, you know, we really were friends and we really did take care of each other and do the best for each other. But then you go on to the next and, and I just, I'm very sad that, that um, I'm just, I'm terrible at reaching out to people. Like I don't call my grandma. I don't call my mom often enough. You know, I mean, it's, I'm just really bad about that. And I don't know why it just, I'm just bad at it. And I didn't maintain those relationships. And I really wish I had because I knew some really good people and I know they've gone on to do great things. And honestly, I just like to be able to congratulate them. Like, I wish I knew them better and knew how to get in touch with them. Just so I would say, man, I saw you on the news and awesome job, man. I'm so proud of you. And, uh, and so, you know, 
if we were ever friends, holla at you, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm here for you. But oh, yeah. uh yeah. It, it doesn't mean I don't think me. about them and I don't like them. It's just a hard thing for me um to to realize all of the opportunity for friendships that I've I've just let go, not intentionally, but just kind of I know that was a longer answer than you expected, but um you know, that yeah. if I had to catalog a big failure, that would probably be it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us get like that. I think for, especially males tend to, when you get in your yeah. 40s, it, it's tough to have friends anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of hang out and with your family, and which is awesome, but uh, not many of us have those close male relationships like we used to. Like the military is great about that and sports and things like that, but then you don't have that. It's a little bit tougher. So I, I get that, man. So um, so what, what makes you mad, though? You don't, you're a very calm person, but what makes you mad? You're like the Hulk, probably. Man, Atlanta and Auburn sports. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, so that, that's not my, I, I don't know if that's my real answer, but since you brought it up, you know, so growing up in Huntsville, Atlanta, we didn't have, Tennessee didn't have pro teams. Alabama didn't have pro teams. So Atlanta was, was the home teams. And, and, um, and it's just a tough road, man, being an Atlanta uh, sports fan. Uh, yeah. And, and actually, while we're recording this, my cousin, Drew Smiley, uh, speaking of not keeping up with relationships, right? So my cousin, Drew Smiley, is pitching for Atlanta for the first time today. Wow. Hey, holler at him. Get some tickets at least, man. If nothing else, reach out for those tickets, right? <laughs> no, I, I just, so he's much younger than me and we just didn't, you know, he's from a, a side of the family. I didn't, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time with, unfortunately, but, um, but I'm still, I'm super proud of him. I, I think it's just a tremendous thing. He's been in the pros for a few years now and, uh, and, and I love that for him, but being an Atlanta sports fan, I mean, I ho I'm hoping they can turn around this year, but that's, um, you know, that's a tough thing, but, but really what makes me mad is things that don't make sense. If I can't make them make sense, mm -hmm. I get very frustrated by that. And I don't know why. I mean, I guess it's part of that philomath and brainstorming um, talent strengths thing. I just, I have an overinflated sense of my ability to put concepts together. And, and, um, and so when things don't make sense, or if, if, if people turn complex problems into platitudes or, or, or memes, um, not funny memes, but the ones where it's sort of slam, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to slam you. Um, yeah. Those, those aggravate me. I wouldn't say mad, but it aggravates me. Yeah. Um, it aggravates me enough that I got to take a minute, practice some of my resiliency skills, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's okay. I can do this or I can find a professional that can do it right. <laughs> yeah. So kind of on the opposite side of that, what inspires you? I know it's, it's tough being out there, you know, you got a big career change and then you're running your business now. What keeps you inspired? And perseverance. I'm a sucker. I, I'm a sucker for a Rudy story. Yeah. Like, and it's not always just, you know, the guy that doesn't have as much talent just works hard. Uh, sometimes it's the guy with a lot of talent who uh, has tough obstacles. And, you know, even somebody like, uh, like a Lindsey Vaughn, right? So just one of the greatest skiers ever. And just how many injury problems she had to overcome. And, and it, so I, I've been fortunate enough to meet Lindsey Vaughn. So she, she came to the health club. I used to used to run and I, I had her talk to, uh, to my son and just the perseverance that she showed and being able to come back so many times just because she had a vision and a goal of what she wanted to achieve and everything was so, and she had the talent. So it's not always a Rudy, uh, Rudiger thing, even though I'm a huge fan of, of Rudy, but, uh, just that perseverance, just stick with it. You've got a purpose, you know, where you want to be and how that's supposed to let you live your values. And, and you just, you just keep at it, man. That, I'm a sucker for those kind of things. Uh, I don't know why, but 
I'm with you, man. I love to see those races where the people come from the way back, you know, those track ones they'll see on Facebook every now and then. You'll have them circle so I, like this person. Yeah, I'll even say, if, so if the guy comes from the end and gets to the middle, I'm ecstatic for that guy. Yeah. You know, so you, you have you have the situation where, you know, they take off out of the gate and, uh, you know, one of the athletes trips and she gets up and she makes it to the middle. I'm thrilled for that athlete. Why? Because she didn't quit. It's like, man, they're halfway down the track. I just, whatever. But she didn't. She got up and she kept rolling. Uh, that sort of thing just, it inspires me to no end. Because I, I think, you know, we, 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 I've used this analogy a lot. You know, we, we glorify the people who climb Mount Everest, right? So we know everybody's name who's ever climbed Mount Everest. But there's a lot of people starting well below sea level and having to climb their way to average. And they just don't get separated. The, the, the altitude change is the same. Mm-hmm right? They still changed their altitude by just as much. They were just starting from a place that was much, much more difficult. And we just don't celebrate folks who overcome to just reach average. You know, that's kind of one of my, it's one of my recurring themes about my life, man. I'm, I'm just striving for average. I, I, growing up, I was, I fit perfectly into different clothing sizes. I, you know, my brother was always in between clothing sizes and I was always just right there. I'm the average height. I'm the average weight, you know, it, I'm just so average and that thrills me because of where I started, you know? And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I was surrounded by heroes, man, but I was just the average guy just doing the best I could. And for me, that was always enough. And I've seen so many people who had that same situation and I don't, um, I, I don't think they get applauded enough just for sticking to it when it would have been so easy to give up. Uh, and so that's just an inspiration to me whenever I see it. Yeah, that's a great point, man. You don't you really don't think about those people. So that's a great point. So let me ask you this. Do you have a nickname? Um, I'm sure that lot when I was a drill sergeant, I'm sure I had lots of nicknames, but <laughs> uh, probably not safe for the, the audience. But uh, so when I was growing up, my nickname was Dondi, D-O-N-D-I. And my older brother couldn't say Donovan. So he said Dondon. And there was a cartoon strip, a, co- a comic strip uh, back in the 50s, a uh, little precocious kid uh, named Dondi that was, um, he was an Italian kid and he was adopted by a soldier or something that was brought back to America. And he's always getting in trouble and that kind of was me. Uh, and so I got that name and I stuck with it until, I mean, Missy still calls me Dondi, but, uh, and my cousins still call me Dondi, but um, you know, the worst thing that happened to me was the movie Gandhi came out. Once the movie Gandhi came out, oh. it was just over. Like I just couldn't do it. Uh, I love people's nickname. That's why I like asking that question. But <laughs> this last one's a pretty tough one right here, but what's the best compliment you've ever received? Um, you know, again, as a guy, it, we don't get a lot of compliments. So it's probably, you know, that that's probably something that doesn't happen often enough either. But I think just basically, I, I think there, that's a twofold answer too. So just overall, the best compliment I, I receive is that I have people that served with me or that I'd led or trained or something like that that seek me out just to tell me what they've done. And it's, again, that perseverance thing. I just, I wish I'd stayed in touch with them better, but I love it. Like, it's just a compliment to me that they go through the effort of finding me to tell me what they've achieved. I didn't do that for them. They did it, but they want me to know. And I, I, I take that as a compliment. Um, and then based on that, so when I was in the drill start of the year competition, um, we, one of the part of it is you have to teach a whole bunch of class, uh, blocks of instruction. You have to teach how to use a claymore mine. You have to teach how to uh, put the weapon into operation, do all this stuff. And so when it got to the evaluation phase, the board 
uh, asked one of the instructors, one of the graders, like, what did you think about his instructions? What do you think about his classes? And the instructor said, Sergeant Major, he could give you a block of instruction on that coffee mug and you'd be better at using it. And I thought, man, like for somebody who loves coaching people, could you yeah. think of a better thing? And I don't, I don't think that's actually true, but I took it because. <laughs> yeah, I own that one, man. That's great. I love training people, coaching, teaching and mentoring. And, and um, for somebody like me, that is, that was just such a tremendous, and, and this was one of the instructors at drill sergeant schools. So they really know their stuff. And so I was, I was thrilled by that compliment. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome compliment, man. You, you should own that one. That's a good one. Yeah, so, I love it. I, it won't fit on one of your t-shirts, but. Hey, speaking of t-shirts, I'm glad you brought that up. Have you ever heard of Apparel Lab? I have. In fact, I heard them on your, um, oh no, I saw your mugs and I looked them up because I think I'm going to, I'll be in contact with them because I, I like to send tumblers or um, uh, things like this to my clients awesome. right off the bat. And I just haven't been personalizing them because, you know, if you go on the big, big branding folks, you got to order 50 of them at a time and, and whatnot. So yeah, uh, I definitely Labs, your people and, and you can use coupon code relentless, get 10% off. And you should just put your face on a bunch of tumblers. I think people really like that. Like your outline or something. I think that'd be a good one. I'm not sure that would encourage drinking water at all. <laughs> I mean, you were just stern, sternly staring at them like, Hey, judge, Hey, drink yeah. your water. Did you drink uh, water today? There you go. Yeah. You, and then they're staring at you. It's a little pressure. So yeah, you get some tumblers over there, t-shirts, hats, anything you want to print on, anything you want to put your face on. That's what you want to do over there. So Paralab, it's the Apparelab at gmail.com. Or you can also go to their website, apparellab.co. Don't put the M in there. They'll slap you if you put an M in there. So also, if you want to refinance your house, hey, rates are pretty crazy right now. I don't know if you checked out rates or refinance or all that, but here you need to call my friend Dominic Garver. So I play football this guy forever. He's a great dude. I've known him forever. So I reached out to him about refinancing my house. And uh, he looked at my stuff. And he said, hey, you're good. You don't need anything. And he didn't try to sell me on anything. He didn't try to get, hey, you need to do this. He just gave me the straight facts. Here you go. So if you want a great rate and someone will shoot you straight, I'm coming up with a tagline for him. Dominic Garver is your guy. Hit him up on his website, rocketcitymortgageguy.com, and he'll, he'll get you helped out on that. So, uh, Donovan, thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm excited about you getting those tumblers with your face on it. And uh, if people want to reach out to you, they go to your website. Is that the best place? Yeah, I tell people. It, I'm hard to find if you misspell my name, but if you get the if you get the spelling right, I'm everywhere as Donovan Manley. All social media and my website's DonovanManley.com, and you know I'd love for you to check it out and let me know if it if it's uh, of any value uh, to your listeners as they as they go on there and look. Absolutely, yeah. And he, he's in Nashville. If you're local there, but he also does online coaching, fitness, nutrition, you know, lifestyle, all that good stuff. He can help you. He's also got a bunch of great resources on his website, free downloads for tons of stuff over there. So I'll link that in show notes, Donovan Man. I'll spell it right, hopefully, and you can go check him out of there. Donovan, thank you so much for coming on, man. Hey, it's been a thrill, Joe. I, I hope I didn't keep it for too long. Oh no, you were awesome, man. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you could do me a huge favor, if you could review, rate, share, all that good stuff about the podcast, help word, get the positivity out there, that would be great. Also, if you could check out my new book, Relentless Positivity on Amazon, I would be awesome too. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you.